You're listening to another episode of the Young Investors Podcast, so sit back and relax as myself, Brandon, and my buddy Hamish discuss the latest in the world of finance and stock market investing. Now, a quick reminder before we get into the podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be taken on as personal financial advice. If you're ever unsure about your finances or investing and you need some help, make sure you reach out to a qualified financial advisor. But with all that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. All right, guys, welcome back to the Young Investors Podcast, Investing with Tom edition once again. You're becoming more of a regular than either me or Hamish. What's going on, dude? Yeah, no, going good. Thanks. Thanks for the invite again. Um, yeah, I don't know. One of these days, we'll have all three of us on here, but we seem to seem to be booting <laughs> people off. He had power cuts. Hamish is skiing yeah. last week, I think. Is that right? Yeah, Hamish is uh, over your way. Yeah. Oh, not really over your way. Still quite a way away he's from at, Queenstown. Yeah, There's a music the, festival, I think. Yeah, exact opposite end of the country, but um, he's he's, yep. he's he's in NZ. Yep. I saw, I've been following him on Instagram. He seems to have, be having a whale of a time over there, going skiing and, uh, and uh, partying hard. But uh, yep, well-deserved week off. But here we are. We're just, uh, we're picking up the slack for you, Hamish, so... <laughs> We'll make him work double time when he gets back. How have you been anyway? Congratulations on your new house. I don't know if you, sorry, I just should ask if you wanted that to be public knowledge, but there you go. No. I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> no, that's all good. Yeah, we've we've moved from Hamilton up to Whangarei over the weekend, which is kind of upper North Island of New Zealand for anyone that's not familiar. So, um, yeah, I've never been like particularly attached to owning property. Like I, I probably would feel equally good about um just having that much extra money in a share portfolio or something but it is nice mm. to have your own space so um i was just mm. telling you before we started recording we've gone from a tiny little one bedroom place to a three bedroom and uh turns out you need extra furniture and stuff when you do that so i've had the <laughs> odd late night kmart run and that sort of thing but uh no it's going good so what's the plan are you are you going to devote is your youtube space also like your home office space are you going to have one room I'm still yet to figure that out. Like I think um, if people are watching the video version now, this is sort of my uh, day job office. Plus, I guess I'll record podcasts and stuff in here like like we're doing now. I'm still not yep. sure if I'll do my regular YouTube videos in here or I might go out to, we've got like a little garage, which I think, I think the previous owner must have just like thrown a teenager in or something because <laughs> it's like a, <laughs> there's like a divider room type thing set up in the garage so i may uh um, right i may set that up and have kind of a separate area out there but not not too sure just yet yeah nice um well i will be very interested to follow um to follow your youtube content over the next little while um to see how things change but yes it does look like a little bit bare in the background there at the moment it is a little I'm, bit. I'm glad that you went last night and you, you you glammed up the space for me with that tasty looking bookshelf over there <laughs> exactly and this uh might be in the way but we've got little warren and charlie if you can see that in the corner from Omaha. yes 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 that was great but I don't oh know. man i should i should have got another couple of another couple of figures off that guy because that would have been cool to have in the background as well but yeah uh, i think me and hamish were both really pushing the weight limit <laughs> of our bags and that's i think how you ended up with the with the figures but i'm glad that they're on display they yeah. look they're pretty awesome little figures hey they are cool i got lucky there because i was i was packing packing light and you guys had you lights very and all light. sorts of stuff <laughs> there. and then i just kind of hijacked your your camera equipment so i i uh, uh, worked out 
yeah, it, it worked well. But if people have got suggestions for what I should put up in the background there, feel free to comment that. Mm. Um, I, I, open to ideas. All right. Well, let's get stuck into it, eh? We've got, um, we've got a bit to talk about. There was an Apple event last night. Um, we've got to talk about what's going on with the European energy crisis at the moment because that uh, it sounds pretty grim. Um, so, I'll talk through what's happening there with Russia cutting off, en- uh, cutting off natural gas to uh, Europe. Um, and I also want to pick Tom's brain about a couple of companies that he's been following closely that I've never really dived into that in depth. Um, two, I guess, companies that are interesting amongst the value investing community, which is Seritage Growth Properties and A2 Milk. So, I want to get his uh, his opinions there. Um, but damn, I can't throw over to Hamish for the shares. So I'm going to have to read this thing out myself. <laughs> All right, here we go. But before we do that, everybody, this episode is sponsored by ShareSite. And as I'm sure, well, me, me, Hamish, and also Tom, we all use ShareSite. Um, and as you guys would probably know by now, it's an application that uh, we all use to track the performance of our stock portfolios. Um, but it's very thorough. That's why we like it because it tracks, you know, your capital gains, it tracks your dividends. It also tracks things like currency gains, losses. So it's a very handy uh, tool especially when it comes to tax time, you can just like print out the reports, hand it to your accountant or just plug the stuff into your tax return. Um, and it's very handy. So, let's see what else is in the read. Uh, yeah, it's, it generates up to 12 different reports that can be used at tax time. I said something to that effect. Um, to work out your capital gains, dividend income and more, you can share, try ShareSite for free by heading over to sharesite.com forward slash young investors. And as Hamish always says, that's site spelt S-I-G-H-T. And if you use that link, you can also get four months free when you sign up for a yearly subscription. And thanks to ShareSite for sponsoring as always. Did you watch the Apple event? I didn't watch the Apple event. No. Are you an Apple user or not really? Uh, sort of. I've got an iPhone, but I use a PC, so I'm, yeah. I'm sitting on the <laughs> fence really. I think you're the exact I'm- opposite of that, right? You're an Android oh. guy that uses Mac laptops and stuff yeah yeah i've got a mac yeah i've got a pc here but my laptop is a macbook i've got the airpods now they're the latest edition but yeah, yeah i use a um a pixel a google pixel for my phone yeah um but yes the apple event was uh last night i don't know time of recording um i looked on youtube and the event said it was streamed five hours ago guess how many views it's got well, I can see it in the notes here, so I'm not going to guess, oh, but okay, you, you, you can guess. tell the people. <laughs> Everybody guess at home. <laughs> you could have made yourself look real pro there. Oh, I don't know. 18 million? Whoa! <laughs> 18 million. 18 million views in five hours. That's like seriously Mr. Beast level. That's crazy. I don't know. Like anecdotal evidence of a, of a moat, of a cult-like fan base maybe. <laughs> 18 million views on your Apple event in five hours. I don't know. Sounds like it. Um, but yeah, Apple stock was completely unchanged. Um, it was up 0.93% yesterday and down just 0.03% after hours. Um, although I checked it's down 10% across the last three weeks. So, there you go. Nothing really going on with the stock though as a, as a result of the event. Um, do you have any uh, any particular categories of Apple products that you're interested in or not particularly. Uh, yeah, I'm probably well overdue for a new iPhone. I'm one of these people that like 
buys a phone, uses it till it dies, which is usually like a four or five year period. And then I have a massive upgrade and I'm like, oh my God, this is, this is so fast. The camera is so good. Um, yeah. So I'm probably getting towards that stage. So um, yeah, it looks like kind of the usual upgrades as expected mm. from Apple, like slightly better yeah. camera, slightly better processing, <laughs> like just <Yeah. laughs> kind of standard incremental improvements, I guess. And, yeah, and, I actually, nothing. and I actually just looked it up on YouTube. We're up to 19 million views now. So we're 19 still million. Whew, it's a lot of views. Man, imagine if you just like put out one of your just value investing videos, you did 19 million views. You just like woke <laughs> up the next day and you'd had 19 million views overnight. That would be quite interesting. Yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> We'd certainly be a lot richer. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, okay, well, let's talk about the iPhones first then. iPhone 14 was announced um, and the iPhone uh, 14 Plus. So, the real difference is 6.1 inch versus 6.7 inch. Uh, A15 chip. Yeah, you're right. Upgraded cameras. Uh, interestingly, they're switching to eSIMs. I didn't even know this was a thing. So, there's not even a SIM card tray anymore. Weird. No SIM card. Yeah. So, it's just all electronic now. So, there you go. Hmm. A um, couple of new features. Uh, the one they were talking a lot about was emergency SOS via satellite, um, which is actually something that uh, SpaceX and T-Mobile just partnered up doing where they're going to try and use Starlink to just provide cell emergency self-service just wherever you are. So, there's just no dead spots, which is pretty interesting. But this one, I think, is like a feature where you, you hold the phone and the phone kind of got because it needs to be, you need to be like pointing right at the satellite. So, the phone's going to try and guide you to where you need to point your phone and then it's got like some software you know uh trickery like it can uh shorten your messages so that it can reduce the amount of data that you need to send and receive and that sort of thing so um that was one thing that they spoke about iphone 14 starts at 799 uh 14 plus starts at 899 which i think is the same as what last year's model started at so interesting some were predicting a price increase as is quite often the case with apple um however it doesn't seem like that's happening this time around they also announced the iphone 14 pro 6.1 inch and then there was the iphone 14 pro max which is 6.7 inch they come in at 999 and one or start at 999 and $1,099 US dollars respectively. Uh, new A16 Bionic chip, you know, exactly what you're talking about before, bigger flashy camera, bigger sensor, better optimized, yada, yada. But I think that's very much what people that buy the, the pro version of the iPhone are interested in. Um, I, one interesting feature which uh, I don't know. How old's your iPhone? What iPhone model do you have? I think I'm running an iPhone 8. Oh, okay. So, so I'm a few years old. back now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so you don't have an, a notch. You just have. No, I don't. Which is which is funny because I have I have friends that will pick up my phone and be like, "What is this weird? What's this weird button at the bottom you've got, Tom?" <laughs> oh, you've still got a, a, a home button. I do. Yes. I'm living in the Stone Age. That's a piece of history, that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, one interesting feature. So, you know how all these new phones that have some variation of this notch so that you can yep. include, so you can maximize screen real estate, but you also need the front facing camera, uh, the f uh, um, proximity sensor, that kind of thing. Um, they've, they've, Apple are fully embracing 
the notch. Mm. They've now created a piece of software around the notch, which is called the Dynamic Island. So, what the Dynamic Island is, they've just got a, it's a blacked out bar because they've got the camera and the sensor and all that. And then the with software, the bar can uh, can change size to display like whatever's going on in your phone. So if, if you like get a call, it'll pop up out of that notch. Um, you can I don't know one of the examples they showed is you can keep the the latest baseball scores running in that notch area as well. You know, it shows up if the battery's charging, that's where it shows up. Um, if your phone's on mute or if your AirPods are connected, all that, all those sort of little notifications here and there will pop up in the in the dynamic island, which I thought was kind of interesting, but um, definitely shows that they are embracing the notch. Which you're like, well, what's a notch? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have seen I have seen that they've even put it on some of their laptop products and stuff just to have like kind of consistent, yeah. um, you know, design across everything. Yeah. Um, but there you go. I'm neither here nor there on that. I'm not even an iPhone user. Um, they also announced Apple Watch Ultra, which is like a rugged version of the Apple Watch for like outdoor sports, adventure sports, that kind of thing uh, with better GPS, you know, stronger build design, better compass. It's got an emergency siren, better water resistance, things you would expect from a watch more tailored to outdoor adventure. Um, they announced Apple Watch Series 8, small upgrades, better at detecting car crashes, better health monitoring, menstrual cycle monitoring. Monitoring for the ladies, um, starting at three ninety nine for the GPS version and four ninety nine for GPS GPS Plus cellular. There was an Apple Watch SE, and they also announced new AirPods with a new chip, better noise cancelling, uh, volume adjust on the headphone, and longer battery life as well. So there you go, a lot of products. But yeah, you're right. Small, minor, incremental upgrades. Any thoughts? Is going to tip you over the edge to upgrade your phone? <laughs> yeah, I think what will tip me over the edge is when it just stops working. But that's the that's, <laughs> yeah. that's the kind of phone buyer I am. I'm not the new iPhone every year guy. But um, yeah, no, it's interesting. I've I've been um, kind of thinking a lot about inflation recently, as I'm sure lots of people have been. But um, you know, Buffett always tells you that one of the best ways to combat inflation is buy businesses with pricing power. And um, Apple is clearly a very good example of that. So interesting to see that they kept mm. their prices flat this year. I actually um, have gone back and looked at like the cost of a base level iPhone over time. And it's, I, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but it's outpaced inflation mm. by a pretty ridiculous amount <laughs> over the years. Yeah. Um, well, so, I just yeah. put this in here, the iPhone 4, which is like the phone that I remember all of my friends, I can't remember, in high school, mate, wait, when was this? 2010. So, I was in year 10. Yeah. Um, they all upgraded to the iPhone 4 and everyone was like, this phone is the phone, you know? Um, so, they came out in 2010 and the prices started at $199 for the iPhone 4 Jeez. for a 16 gigabyte model, 299 for the 32 gig. So, you're right. That's, that's not even the original iPhone, but uh, prices have inflated quite a bit over time. But then again, so is technology. But uh, yes, I think that Apple are making more money than ever before. But yeah, yeah, I was surprised as well not to see price hikes because you're right. Apple, they've got pricing power. Like they could just tick it up a few dollars. No one would. It would not impact their sales in the slightest. I would not believe yeah, and I think they've like they've obviously changed the sort of product range for iPhones over the years. Like you don't just have the one iPhone four anymore. You've got um, you know all sorts That's of different true. sizes and price mm-hmm. options and stuff. So 
I don't really know how that kind of impacts their their average selling price. But man, I like iPhone and smartphone prices more generally certainly have not gone the way of TV prices. Like that's probably had the most deflation you could ever imagine. But um, mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they just keep keep cranking it up. Keep cranking up. It is interesting. There is kind of the two factors at play because I think technology generally is deflationary because as over time things get better, things get like the same technology obviously gets a lot cheaper. Mm. But yeah, obviously these uh, these companies can get away with increasing prices, but that's uh, that's the way of the world. Um, all right. Any extra flavor to add on the Apple event? I really don't have that much to talk about, but- it is a big event and a lot of people tune into it. And a yeah. lot of Apple investors, I'm sure, tune into it as well. You think any you th- other thoughts? You, you think Warren Warren got up and watched that? Mm, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird because we're in this in this culture of make sure you understand you know, understand the business, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. like he he's not a user of Apple. He doesn't have AirPods. Does he even have an iPhone? I think he's been gifted a few over the years, but um, I don't know that he's ever fired one up. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I, I think don't know. Warren- what, what are your thoughts on that? Like the whole uh, understanding the business, but I guess I guess Warren Buffett's coming at it from a perspective of I understand the business in the sense that I understand the economics of the business, even if I'm not like a big user of the products. He can identify that the trends are there. I don't know. Your yeah, thoughts? And I, I think he's identified the kind of stickiness of a product like the iPhone from uh, like friends and family. Like, you know, Charlie sees his grandkids just completely addicted to their iPhone. Um, they've got a, this, this story came out not long ago about a very longtime friend of Warren and Charlie's, um, Sandy Goddersman, who used to be in this crew that I think they called like uh, the I can't remember exactly, like the Buffett group or something, and they'd go go and meet with Ben Graham once a year, like back in the 50s and 60s and stuff. Oh, and Sandy right. Goddersman left his iPhone in a taxi one time and was just completely freaking out. And, you know, Warren and Charlie just, like, could not get their head around, could not get their heads around, like, why this 80 or 90-year-old <laughs> guy was just, you know, so upset that he'd lost his iPhone. Um, you know, kind of thought, well, there, there must be something going on here. So... There you go. Yeah. That that one lost iPhone was the basis of one of the biggest and best investments. It's <laughs> a good made. story. I don't know. I don't know if it's true. <laughs> uh, there you go. How it's it's got to be his best ever investment in terms of absolute Surely. dollars. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure yeah. he's had bigger percentage gains and, and smaller stuff over the years. But, but yeah, true. Yeah. Actually, true. Actually. Um, okay, so let's leave the Apple event there and uh, let's talk a little bit about um, this whole European energy crisis because that, I've been doing a little bit of reading on it. It's definitely been making the news this week. Um, it's very interesting. Have you followed it much at all or not really? Yeah, I've probably followed the oil side of things a little more than natural gas, but uh, okay. I, I follow a lot of people on Twitter and that sort of thing that are that look right. at this stuff pretty closely. But yeah, what what's happening? Yeah. Um, so I'll just read you <clears throat> what this CNBC article is talking about. So it said, Europe has been thrown into its biggest energy crisis in decades with natural gas supplies from Russia becoming volatile and unpredictable even before the invasion of Ukraine began. Now those supplies have come to a complete halt. Russia claims punitive economic sanctions imposed on it by the West are responsible for the indefinite halt to gas supplies via Europe's main pipeline. 
quote, problems in pumping arose because of the sanctions imposed against our country and against a number of countries by Western states, including Germany and the UK. Kremlin spokes- spokesman Dmitry Peskov told reporters on Monday, according to Russian state news agency Interfax. Um, whether Asked whether pumping gas via Nord Stream 1 was completely dependent on the sanctions uh uh, was, yeah, sorry, completely dependent on the sanctions and that supplies would resume if they were lifted or relaxed. Peskov replied, of course, the very sanctions that prevent the maintenance of u- units, which prevent them from moving without appropriate legal guarantees, which prevent these legal guarantees from being given and so on. It is precisely these sanctions that the Western states have introduced that have brought the situation to what we see now, Peskov added. Um, Russia's state-owned energy giant Gazprom halted all exports via Nord Stream 1 from August 31st, citing maintenance work on its only remaining compressor. However, while flows were due to resume after three three days, Gazprom on Friday cited an oil leak for the indefinite shutdown of the pipeline. Hmm, question mark. (laughs) The shock announcement came hot on the heels of a joint statement from the G7 economic powers backing a proposal to put a price capping mechanism on Russian oil. Hmm. And I thought I'd chuck in a little bit of context because I uh, definitely needed this context for myself because I know nothing about gas and oil because I just never learnt about it. Um, so, the Nord Stream 1 pipeline stretches 1,200 kilometres or seven, uh, 745 miles under the Baltic Sea from the Russian coast near St. Petersburg to northeastern Germany. It opened in 2011 and can send a maximum of 170 million cubic metres of gas per day from Russia to Germany. And in case you're like me wondering what the timeline of events were leading up to this. um, So in May, Gazprom closed a key pipeline which runs through Belarus and Poland, delivers gas to Germany and other European nations. Then in June, it cut gas deliveries through Nord Stream 1 by 75% from 170 million cubic metres of gas a day down to roughly 40 million cubic metres. Uh, Then in July, it shut down Nord Stream 1 for 10 days, citing the need for maintenance. Then shortly after reopening, Gazprom halved the amount supplied to 20 million cubic metres because of what it called faulty equipment. Now it has completely halted all gas supplies to Europe through the pipeline. Wowee. Thoughts? Yeah, that's that's crazy. Um, Like we've seen, um, I'm not sure if you got some of the numbers here, but we've seen gas and energy prices just go through the absolute roof for the end consumer. Mm. And, um, yeah, some of the numbers coming out of there are just insane. That That's going to hurt a lot. Um, you know, like, obviously, everyone's very concerned about inflation and one of the ways that, you know, central – one of the ways that they typically try to slow down inflation is to crank interest rates up so that people, you know, that have mortgages and things have less discretionary spending. But this really mm-hmm. has the same effect as as doing that. Yep. Like this is taking a lot of a lot of cash out of most people's weekly budgets. Yep. We, that's what consumers have the double whammy, increasing interest rates and just, you know, cost of essentials, food and um, and – you know, heating, for example, just going through the roof. I do have some of the numbers here. Um, 
The article goes on to say, uh, Europe, and in particular Germany, has historically been very reliant on Russian gas to meet its energy needs. Before Russia invaded Ukraine, Germany got 55% of its gas from Russia. It has managed to reduce this to 35% and vowed to end imports uh, entirely. Um, When Russia announced its intention to restrict uh, supply in July, within a day, it had pushed up the wholesale price of gas in Europe by 10%. Although the UK imports, uh, although the UK imports very little gas from Russia, gas prices are set globally, and are now approximately four hundred and fifty percent higher than they were this time last year. So that is a big price hike. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I mean, obviously, we're talking about uh, UK and and Europe and everything here, but this has flow-on effects all over the place. I mean, I. I see this in my day job in New Zealand working in the agricultural sector. Like, um, you know, um, natural gas is one of the key inputs to make um, nitrogen fertilizer, basically, to make urea. And, you know, many farmers, you know, it's an essential input, you know, particularly if you're Mm. growing crops. But then for, you know, places like hill country farms in New Zealand, you know, rearing sheep and beef animals and stuff, they're kind of like a marginal buyer. So um, when fertilizer prices get up to a certain level, it just doesn't make economic sense for them to apply the fertilizer. And all of that means, you know, less food production, more expensive food. Like it all just has many flow on effects all over the place. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah, when you look at these fundamental economic um, or strategic economic resources like oil, like gas, you're like, oh, you know, price of oil goes up. Oh, you know, that just means that petrol prices are going to go up. It's like, actually, yes, it means that, but it also means like that everything goes up. You know, you've yeah. got to buy oil to run to run your tractors, to run your farms, and, and that has a flow and effect into food, pri- like so much stuff, plastics made of oil, all sorts of different products. It's just one of those fundamental uh, economic resources that you think only affects you when you put petrol in your car, but actually it affects absolutely everything. Um, And yeah, gas is is obviously one of those very important economic uh, resources as well, obviously used a lot for heating. And uh, and now we're seeing... um, seeing that really affect uh, Europe and will affect Europe over their winter. Um, and here's an interesting article I also found just to make matters a little bit worse. Guess what, Tom? There's going to be a potential energy bill boycott in London. Oof, aye, aye, aye. Um, so it says here, a petition to boycott energy bill payments is gaining traction in the UK as the country faces its worst cost of living crisis in a generation. As of Tuesday, the grassroots don't pay movement has racked up more than 170,000 signatories who have pledged to cancel their direct debit payments to energy companies on October 1st um, when household bills are set to skyrocket. Campaign organisers say supporters will enact their pledge if a total of 1 million signatures are amassed before the October deadline. Britain's energy regulator Ofgem, is that how you say it? Ofgem? I don't know. Announced last month that it would raise its main cap um, on domestic energy bills by 80% from October, taking the average annual um, household payment to £3,549 from £1,971. Jeez. Comes as global energy markets come under continued pressure. Yeah, following Russia's invasion. That's what we're talking about. That's um, That makes a bad situation worse. 
<laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I, I've got no clue how this is all going to play out, but um, no, it, is, it all looks pretty pretty doom and gloom, really, doesn't it? It, it does. Nothing to add, as Charlie would say. Yeah. But yeah. Probably not yeah, a bad time know. to, you know, have bought some natural gas uh, or oil companies back when oil went negative in 2020. I'm sure there's some people that, that bought those yeah. doing pretty well right now. But um, yeah, for, yeah for the everyday person, not not great at all. Do you know much about oil stocks, gas stocks? Uh, not so much natural gas. I've been looking a little bit at oil recently. Um, You've been looking at bank stocks as well, haven't you? Yeah, all the exciting stuff, Brandon. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> stuff that I never look at. Yeah, I've but been- I, I think I, I remember because I listened back to the podcast that I missed where you and you and Hamish had a yarn about the 13Fs and, and Buffett's oil buys. Yep. I think you were saying, so. I can't remember the stats, but like even just a minor increase in the price of oil can mean like really significant- um, profit, extra profit for some of these oil producers. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, that some of these, well, pretty much all of these commodity producers have like huge, they're hugely leveraged to whatever that price of that particular commodity is. So, you mm-hmm. know, if you take uh, an oil business in the US, it might might cost them just, for example, 40 or $50 a barrel to produce a barrel of oil. So, you right. know, if we call it fifty, and then they can sell the oil for sixty, they make a small margin on that. But if they sell it for seventy, their margin, you know, doubles right. all of a sudden. Yeah, and you go eighty, ninety, hundred, and I think we got to one twenty, one thirty earlier this year. So, um, the amount of cash some of those companies are printing at the moment is is pretty pretty crazy. And uh, mm. you know, if you go through the conference calls and investor presentations of you know Chevron, Occidental, some of the companies that Buffett's been buying. The free cash flow yields and that sort of thing at the moment are, are crazy high. Like, obviously, the many billion dollar question is whether those commodity prices are going to sustain. And there's there's a reasonable <clears throat> argument actually that even if they don't, maybe there's, you still kind of get a good outcome because they can pay down so much debt, they can buy back so much stock and pay out so much in dividends when prices are high that it might kind of structurally change you know, the amount mm. of debt and shares outstanding yeah. kind of, you know, permanently moving the forward. So that even at, better. Yeah, even at lower oil prices, you might you might still have a good outcome. Mm. And what's the deal um, with Warren Buffett in particular? Is he still buying Chevron? I think he's – you. I think back in – back when – you were talking to Hamish like all the way back. It's like a few weeks ago. Um, you were talking about his um, uh, wow, form fours. Yeah, that's right. And I think yep. he's still buying now. I think like, is there a potential that he just buys the whole flipping thing at this yeah. point? Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised at this point. He's got to be uh, well north of 20%, right? Um, yeah, he is. He's over twenty percent of the company. Yeah, and, and I, I don't think that takes into account, um, like for example, his preferred shares and his warrants as well that he's got. Yeah, you might be right, actually. And yeah. uh, I think he just recently got SEC approval to buy up to forty or fifty percent. Don't quote me on that, but um, actually, I think I think I did see something like that. Yeah, that came pretty out ridiculous. not too long ago. So it would be pretty unusual for Buffett to make an investment that large like uh, chevron and oxy aren't, aren't small companies um mm. and to ha- to have you know a wholly owned subsidiary be a commodity company like an oil 
business would be kind of unusual, but um, mm. yeah, you never know. Slotted in Berkshire Hathaway Energy. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Um, there you go. Anything to add on on the rest of that on what we're just talking about, or should we move on? Because uh, yeah. I think it was important to talk about, but this is, as you can probably tell, not in my circle of competence in the slightest. Yeah, I, I'm really fascinated to see, you know, I just want to kind of watch from the sidelines, to be honest, and see where, see where this thing goes because um, yeah. you don't have to work that hard on the maths with some of these companies for things to look really good from an investment perspective. Um, mm. But I, I don't know. It's all quite political as well, obviously. With, yeah, um, that's the thing that worries prices. me. Yeah, and, and yeah. whether I mean whether the politicians actually have the power to do anything substantial about pulling down a commodity price is a discussion for another day. But um, mm. yeah, it's yeah. it's certainly pretty interesting. All right, well, let's put a pin in that one and um, and cross our fingers that um, gas prices don't go too crazy that people can still heat their homes because that would I'm just thinking like how would I go if I had to severely restrict the amount of heating that I used in Canberra winter and I would not like that at all yeah so fingers crossed anyway let's talk about I want to talk about some of the stocks you've been watching I think this will bring a bit of a fresh perspective um in for the viewers of the Young Investors podcast as well because um because I don't think me and Hamish ever really talk about these two stocks. I want to talk to you about Seritage and also A2 Milk. Um, so, disclosure, do you own both of these? Uh, A2 Milk is tiny, but I do own it. Seritage oh, okay. is a reasonably large holding for okay. me. Okay. Um, I want to start with Seritage because this this one is one that has popped up a lot. We were talking to Matt Peterson about it when we we're over in the states. Uh, Monish Prabhai was in it for a little while. That was a little while ago. Yeah, and it's just one of those stocks that floats around the value investing community. But I never took the time to actually go into it because I just don't think it kind of sits anywhere near what I'm interested in. Um, so I was wondering if you could kind of just give us a bit of a spiel, bring us up to speed on like what Seritage is, because it's kind of like a special, special case in a way. Um, so yeah, I'll throw it over to you if you could bring us, bring me up to speed. I would yeah. greatly appreciate it. Yeah, sure. And there's been a few, there's been a few kind of recent developments which, which we should talk about as well. But um, okay, Seritage has been a public company since. 2015. If you were to look at a stock chart or something like that, um, but it was actually so not long. Yeah, but it was actually public in another vehicle before that. So, um, right, Seritage actually, this has recently changed um, for reasons we can get into shortly. But it was a real estate investment trust, a real estate investment trust, which are you know usually yep. set up so they have a bunch of cash cash flowing real estate as a public company, and uh, you get a bunch of tax advantage dividends, which usually isn't the case with most US public corporations. Um, so Seritage was basically spun out of Sears before Sears went went bankrupt. Um, right. So Seritage was all the real estate um, with the, you know, Sears big box stores and surrounding parking lots and so on. And right. um, the story basically was, you know, Sears was having some pretty serious financial troubles. They've since gone bankrupt. Um, I think Seritage were bringing in something like $200 million a year in rent from Sears at a going rate of call it roughly $5 a square foot and kind of annual rent is what they were getting off a lot of those properties. <clears throat> and essentially the the idea was, you know, Seritage were going to take a bunch of these properties, um, redevelop them for new tenants after kind of they kicked 
Sears out of more and more of them over time. And uh, they were actually, and they're still doing this with new tenants to this day, but they're able to charge something like $20 a square foot um, in annual rent. Oh. So the $5 is very cheap. They're getting like four times the rent now off some of these new tenants. And um, they've right. got like some very high-end, <clears throat> some very high-end retail and um, pretty high-end office space getting like 80 or $90 a square foot at some of their properties. Um, so that was wow. that was kind of the idea with Heritage is to do all the redevelopment. Um, you know, we're seven years into it now and Heritage still is a cash flow negative company. <laughs> so oh, they've, okay. they've had some real troubles kind of doing the developments as, as quickly as they had liked. Right. Or as quickly as they would have liked. Um, but if you look at it on kind of a net asset value basis, you know, you just look at like, what would you be able to get if you liquidated all the real estate? You can make a pretty good argument that it looks quite interesting. And um, I think that's probably why people like Matt Peterson and Guy Spear is still still in Seritage. Marish Pabrai was in for a year or so, but he's, he's now out. Right. Okay. He made a pretty penny though, didn't he? Um, yeah, he... He did. I think he bought, these are just estimates, but maybe somewhere in the 5 to $7 a share range. It got as high as 20 uh, It was probably back down to 12 or 13 or something when he got out though. Right. Okay. Yeah. And so what's what's the story now? So they were, they're cash flow negative and they were trying to, I think, so they were trying to redevelop all of these properties, um, you know, rake in some cash from new tenants, but- the story changed. I think now they've switched and they're saying instead we're going to sell a lot of what we've got. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So I should say that um, the way that Seritage were funding many of their redevelopments previously is they were um, they were selling properties that they didn't want to redevelop because it just didn't look – the economics weren't as attractive. So they were selling okay. properties, taking the funds from that and – uh, paying debt with it, so they've got about what well, they did have about 1.6 billion in debt, which is all to Berkshire Hathaway, interestingly. And yeah, uh, they were they were yeah, kind of funneling that money into redevelopment projects. So um, yeah, as of earlier this year, and the shareholder vote is still yet to ha- yet to happen, but they did kind okay. of like a, a strategic review and said, we think the best plan of attack from here is basically just to liquidate the whole company. So okay, shut up shop sell all the real estate, pay off all the debt and uh, whatever's left over, just distribute it to shareholders basically. So um, right. that vote is yet to happen. They need about two-thirds uh, shareholder approval to to do it. Um, Eddie Lampert, who um, is a 29% shareholder in Seritage, uh, has basically signed a, an agreement saying he'll vote in favour of a liquidation. So um, okay. that gets you pretty – you know, a good chunk of the way towards that two-thirds kind of approval. And mm-hmm. uh, even before the shareholder vote, they've got about 50% of their assets on the market already. So, um, yeah, so, some pretty serious oh, moves start okay. to happen. Right. So now – so this is now one like just a special case where can you get more as a shareholder um, – than what you're paying. If if once they sell up, shut up shop, and they sell everything, pay down their debts and sell what's left, can you get more um, by buying in now 
then yeah that's, that's that's essentially what that's, that's, that's basically what the, equation the equation is. yeah so um right. okay. they they have actually given specific guidance on that so Sierra judges have said we okay. think we can distribute somewhere between $18.50 and $29 per share over the next 18 to 30 months is kind of the the dollars and the time frame that they've given and Seritage I think is currently something like $12 a share um and it got as right. low as five maybe recently. So the day that they announced this liquidation, Seritage was up, I think, 80% in a day. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, it went from, <laughs> that. my maths is probably off here, but it went from five to 10 or something. Um, wow. Or maybe six to 10. Um, yeah. So you're a happy boy? Well, yeah, I, I'd be ha- I would be happier if I bought more when it was down there. I know Matt Peterson right. did because he was getting put a bunch of shares, you know, because he's selling selling put options the whole time. So, I think yes. adjusted for the premiums he got paid, his cost basis is six something. Um, wow! So, so yeah. just remind what what did what did the management say that they're going to sell push in like the next little while? What you well, say? they think they can distribute eighteen fifty to twenty nine dollars per share. Right. Okay. So it it looks it looks favorable if they can if they can do what they say they they can. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And then the question mark is whether they can do it. Um, is that all? I've noticed you you've got uh, Sears lawsuit. Yeah. As a, as a subcat. What what's the, what's that about? Yeah. That's aren't na- they buddies? Uh, well, <laughs> not not anymore. So Sears have obviously not anymore. Sears have obviously gone bankrupt. Um, I'm actually not super familiar with the finer details here, but effectively oh, okay. when- I know Eddie, nothing, so effect- anything you know is better than me. <laughs> effectively when Eddie Lampert um, kind of spun Seritage out of Sears, um, the Sears shareholders basically thought that they got um, they got kind of the poor end of that transaction basically. So um, they have been in a four-year-long court battle now, uh, maybe even a little Ooh. bit more than that, with Seritage basically saying that you know, we think we were ripped off to a certain extent and we think we have a claim to Seritage, to some of the Seritage assets. And uh, that's oh, kind of something okay. that's hung over SRG for a long time. And they just right. reported the, uh, I think, second quarter earnings a month or so ago. And uh, they said that, we, you know, we think we're on the home straight with this lawsuit. We've come to an agreement about a, a $175 million settlement of which most of that is paid by... Um, insurance companies but SRG were going to put up about 35 million and about a week ago uh, news came out basically saying that that deal has gone through so um, Seritage are going to have to pay up 35 million bucks which you know they've probably got 3 billion or something in real estate assets so it's not super significant for them Um, but it's it's you know one kind of thing hanging over Seritage that's that's now out of the way yeah something to add in or not forget about Yep. Into your into your overall equation. Yeah. Well, and, um, it, and it takes away the risk of, you know, Sears getting half a Seritage or something crazy. That's a good point. Yeah. So, yeah, that's true. So, yeah. Okay. It cancels out a potential problem. Yeah. Interesting. So, okay. That's interesting. Uh, any, any other stuff to add? I think that's an interesting um, special case with Seritage. You're always good at finding special cases. I don't know. Whenever there's like this weird special case, like- um, like process and how they how they own how they they own like own uh, ten cent or yeah t- they own how much 
a lot of tense like they 30% have, of tension or something yeah something crazy yeah um you're always the person that that tells me about these special <laughs> kind of interesting how do you how do you generally find them or do they just kind of you just see them on twitter or they pop up here and there um yeah i i i don't know hear super investors talking about it or uh, um, right you know just Probably too much time scrolling Twitter. You find weird right, stuff okay, on, there, on there occasionally. I was wondering if you had some sort of some sort of uh, uh, special insight into some of these nah. because you are literally literally you're always whenever there's something funny going on or something that's like well way out of whack, way out of balance. You're like, hey, have you seen this? Yeah. <laughs> it's always you. It's always you <laughs> telling me about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, I like that. Sounds yeah. like I need to follow some more people on Twitter. Yeah, I guess just just maybe one final thought on Seritage. Like yes. the the net operating income for the business is still negative. They're still continuing to lease out new um, properties that they have developed because they have done some successful redevelopments. But yeah, key things to watch from here really are this, the shareholder vote. I don't think we have a date on that yet, but that should be coming up soon. Um, and then really just keeping an eye on what their um, property sales look like because they're reporting that each quarter. Um, and they do have about a $540 million debt payment due July next year, which is another one of these things that's been hanging over them. But you would think if they can start liquidating a good chunk of the property portfolio, that that won't be an issue. But do your own work on that one. Mm. Very Sorry, I've got sirens going. Can you hear that? Sirens just going past. Faintly. That'll be lovely to <laughs> vaguely lovely to listen to for the for the audio listeners, but they uh, they are gone now. Okay, interesting. Thanks for talking us through Seritage. Yeah, I feel like I understand it a lot better now. Um, so hopefully that is an interesting one. Maybe if if you guys at home want to go and look into it as well, that is a very interesting situation. All right, let's talk about one that I feel like this is probably as close to the middle of your circle of competence as you could possibly get. It's a New Zealand company, isn't it? Kiwi company. Yep. Agriculture. It's right there. A2 milk. That's it. You know, I, I told you about this, but I'll tell everyone as well. I actually, so I always tell the stories about how when I first got started investing, I made like just silly investments based on what people were saying like on YouTube and stuff like that. Um, before I knew any anything about Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger or any of these folks. And actually, I made a whole bunch of bad investments, but I did make one good one. I bought A2 <laughs> Milk. I didn't know anything about A2 Milk back then. Um, and I, I think I bought, I can't even remember, maybe like $1,000 or something, but I think I bought it when it was like $2 a share or something. <laughs> Yeah. So that was one that I just happened to get very lucky on. I didn't invest a, a massive amount of money into it, so I never made you know a killing off of it. But that was just one that I got very very lucky with. It was my first like multi bagger as well. So nice. There you go. Yeah. I, so I'll, I'll, I should I should have just said yeah yeah I've, I'll, I was in H two milk right from the start. Yeah, I saw that one coming. Yeah. Yeah. I actually <laughs> I actually ran into a guy at a conference once, a dairy farmer, um, who I think had just just moved to New Zealand from overseas and it had rolled some of his retirement money from whatever, you know, a superannuation was called um, back in his, in his home country. He'd come to New Zealand and randomly put a bunch of money into quite a few stocks and one of them was A2 Milk. And he's like, yeah, that paid for my new new irrigation system on my farm. And those are like <laughs> millions of dollars. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. So, um, Jeez, good on him. Of, 
certainly people out there that have made a killing on A2. There's also uh, in the last year or two, people that have probably lost a lot of money on A2 as well. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I want to get the stock chart up. Uh, A2 milk stock. So, okay, let's go max. All right. So, let's say from about 2017 up until when was that? July 2020, you're up like 850%. Pretty remarkable. And then from that point back in July of 2020 to now, you are down like 75%. Yeah. <laughs> wild Sheesh. ride. Yeah. Very wild ride. Um, so, can you please tell, maybe educate me around what the hell A2 milk actually does because I think if I if if the story hasn't changed wildly they yes they make a lot of milk A2 milk in fact but like a big part of their business was like baby formula I think yep infant formula is that still the case or is that still kind of changed no still the case okay interesting yeah, yeah. So, so I guess first of all, A two A two milk refers to a a certain type of protein that's in uh, in cow's milk. So most cows have gives uh, you superpowers. Uh, that's what A two would like you to think. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> they uh, yeah. Most cows have a mix of um, A one and A two beta casein proteins in their milk, and you can breed for cows that just produce A two milk. You know, just like you can. I don't know if you could uh, artificially select humans. You could breed for humans with a certain. This is <laughs> sounding very Hitler-like now that I think about it. You can breed dogs or cats for a certain yeah. hair color. You could or whatever, could have you know? done like seedless mandarins or yeah, something yeah, like that. that. Was a bad, but instead, you've I gone apologize, the Hitler route. I apologize with where I went with it. Um, but you get the <laughs> no, point. That was you, you can select for cows. We get that, the point. You can select for cows that produce A2 milk. You know, the average dairy farmer yeah. replaces about twenty percent of their herd a year in New Zealand. So it's sort of a five-year process to go through that if you want to do it. But um, right. there are supposed health benefits to A2 milk. Um, I have a degree in agricultural science and I'm still fairly sceptical about whether that's actually true. Um, I think when I started reading about it, I was like, yeah. hmm, hmm. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm still put me down as sceptical, even though I do have a, a small shareholding in the company. Um, but, the, <laughs> but the financials are up until the last couple of years were just like spectacular. You know, we all, we always look at, particularly if you came from the Phil Town school of thought, you know, you're looking at revenue and EPS and free cash flow and book value growth over 10% or whatever, high return on investing mm. capital. And A2 Milk ticked all of those boxes for a long time. Like even after the recent uh, pullback they've had, the 10-year uh, compounded revenue growth is just a slither under 40%. Um, they have no Sheesh. debt. Return on equity has been like forty percent. Um, so it's just had a crazy run. And um, Sheesh. yeah, up until about two thousand twenty, which is uh, when when things mm. start going south. So, um, do you want me to run through kind of what happened there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I'm going in blind, so I don't know much. So any any insight you can give is very valuable. Yeah, so so I guess um, taking a slight step back, um, most of A2's business is infant formula, and they operate in like an ultra premium kind of high end price point for infant formula as well. So um, China is by far and away the biggest market, but um, they also sell 
a bit of liquid milk. Um, they have a New Zealand and Australian market as well. They have a small US market also. Um, and basically what happened is we got to COVID in 2020 and a couple of things kind of happened for A2's business there. So the first thing, uh, as I'm sure everyone remembers, is when we were all going into lockdowns, um, everyone was doing quite a bit of panic buying and uh, kind of uh, pantry stocking, I guess, which is pretty much exactly what happened to A2. So A2 was sitting here thinking we're having the best sales we've seen in a long time. People are buying <laughs> A2 milk left and right. Uh, and then all of a sudden the tap kind of turned off, like people just stopped buying it because they had all these supplies, you know, their pantry was full of right. this stuff. Um, so A2 milk, it basically caused them to overshoot and just produce too much and they, they couldn't move it, um, basically. Oh, and okay. The, the other thing that, that happened is A2 has a little bit of a weird kind of distribution model, uh, which they have quite, they, they have pretty little control over really, which, uh, is, is this Daigo channel. Are you, are you familiar with that at all? No idea. Right. So, so a Daigo channel is basically, and this is typically talking about Chinese consumers. Um, someone will be based in New Zealand or Australia or somewhere outside of China. Um, they will go to a retail store in Australia or New Zealand or, um, People often do this, Chinese people actually do this quite a bit in Korea for makeup because of makeup tariffs and stuff. There's a few different places oh. around the world where this happens, but they'll basically go to another country, fill suitcases with makeup or A2 milk in this case or whatever, and then take it back to China and sell it. That's what this right. Daigo channel is. And obviously COVID really slowed that down. Um, so that was kind of the other right. thing that, that happened with A2. So. Yeah, basically, Interesting. sales fell off a cliff. Um, that produced way too much. Um, there's also this overhang of like declining birth rates, kind of in many parts of the world, but particularly in China, which obviously isn't good for infant formula sales. And they got into a situation where they had way too much inventory that was starting to age, like infant formula only lasts a certain amount of time and it was just kind of a whole bad mix of factors. So um, they actually ended up going through a pretty pretty rigorous like um, kind of turnaround inventory refreshment type uh, strategy, which basically means they um, intentionally pulled back their sales and, and production. They actually literally destroyed some inventory that was getting really old as well. Um, and they're pretty much coming out the other side of that now. So um, they have a fully fresh inventory again. They're starting to grow again. And, um, yeah, they reported pretty good revenue growth, reasonable uh, earnings growth just recently, and they're starting to buy back some stock as well. Right. Okay. So how much more important is infant formula than, like, just liquid milk? Uh, for, for A2. Do you know? Yeah, for A2. Yeah, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but um, I wouldn't... Is is it really just like A2... Is, should they rebrand to A2 Infant Formula? Oh, by the way, we sell a little it's, bit of milk. It's almost at that level, I think. The the liquid milk sales is more of a New Zealand and Australian thing. Um, yeah. It's a little tricky to ship liquid milk to China. <laughs> so Infant mm. Formula is, tends to be what happens in that market. They also have some interesting kind of newer joint ventures, which are pretty small at this stage but in the u.s they've launched a hershey's chocolate milk uh joint venture over there so there's a few of those products kind of floating around you can go buy two you can go buy right. um hershey's chocolate flavored a2 milk and stuff in u.s supermarkets 
Oh, okay. That's yeah. interesting. It's like um, <laughs> some of those collaborations. We've seen like uh, oak milk. Here. Do you have oak over in New Zealand? The uh, flavoured yeah. milk? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, they, they, did you get like the Jaffa cake flavour milk and like the red skin or what do they call them? That the, sounds uh, like something we would have got, but I don't think I, I tried it. <laughs> oh, my God. There's so many like real random flavours of chocolate milk. It was bizarre, but, you know, sometimes they work those yeah. things. But it is kind of interesting, like you think of A2 milk and what we see, we kind of just see A2 milk as just uh, in the milk aisle, you know, they've got their bottles of milk there, but actually it's like this infant formula to China business. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. yeah. It's kind of kind of funny. Yeah. But goes to show you must do your digging. You yeah. must must do your research. Exactly. Um, so you, and, you, and you're saying that they got, they're now kind of over this, kind of cluster of negative events that really tanked their share price. So, yeah. so what, what's their situation now and, and, and what, what are they kind of talking about for the future? Sure, yeah. So uh, I guess inventory is like uh, the freshest it's been in a couple of years or so. Um, so they've really ticked that one off. Uh, they've started to grow again, uh, um, more so on the top line than they are in kind of net income and earnings at the moment. They've right. tried to, they've turned on a lot of marketing spend, particularly in, um, you know, in things like WeChat in China, which is 10 cents, you know, main asset. Um, they do a lot of like in-app marketing and stuff there to try and get things cranking again. But just to run through the numbers, right. so in 2020, which is their best year ever, um, the uh, they did $386 million in profit. 2021, which was their... Um, kind of down year, they still did 81 million. Like they didn't lose money or anything through this whole saga. Okay. Um, and 2022, which they've just reported the the full year, and that will have still included quite a bit of this turnaround kind of um, phase. They're back up to yep. 115 million in, in profit. So that's okay. That's so where they're, at. they're coming back. They're coming back and revenue's growing at a faster rate than those numbers suggest as well. Um, they also have like the best balance sheet you'll ever see besides maybe Facebook or something. <laughs> oh, yeah. So uh, I guess much smaller scale than Facebook. But they have, um, yeah. you know, so I just said their best year ever, they did $386 million in profit. They've got a little under $900 million in cash, $887 million in cash. Um, really, they've got 107 million in debt, which is to do with a recent acquisition they did, and okay. they also own—I don't know the percentage off the top of my head—but they own about 150 million dollars of shares in Sinlay Milk, which is the main uh, supplier that you know there's Sinlay Milk dairy farms and and stuff. That's where most of the A2 milk comes from. So they own about 150 right. million dollars in Sinlay, which was okay. worth a lot so more from when, the source. Yeah, and that was worth a lot more when A2 was doing well because A2 are one of Sinlay's largest customers, you know. So they sort yeah, of it's one they of those... trade in tandem a little. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Interesting. So, so yeah, they've they've guided for what they just said was high single digit revenue growth. Um, okay. They've uh, issued a plan to buy back up to five percent of their shares over the next year, and um, that'll still leave them with a boatload of cash. So it'd be interesting to see what happens um, over the next couple of years as they as they start to come back. Start to come back. Nice. Yeah. Sounds like an interesting case. Anything else to add with uh, with A two? Or is that just about it? Uh, I think that's pretty much it. The only like, if people were looking to try and value this thing, it'd be worth factoring that in the cash and the Sinlay holding. Mm. Uh, the market cap's about four point six billion. 
New Zealand dollars. If you back out the cash and the Sinlay position, it's more like 3.7, which is maybe a little under 10 times what they earned in their their best year a couple of years back. And, you know, they're only guiding for higher single-digit revenue growth at the moment, but... You know, they grew up 30 and 40% a year for a long time too. So if they ever get back the to that, it you quoted be, were pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah. If they ever get back to that, it will be very interesting to see see what happens. But um, yeah, they're, right. they're guiding for much lower growth than that. Yeah. Sandbag it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, but very interesting. Thanks for taking us through that. That's um, two very interesting value investing kind of case studies in, uh, in Seritage and A2. So- much appreciated. I did want to get to, oh, how are we going for time? Oh, we're a little bit over. We'll just do one question um, for today. Um, you pick, Tom. What question would you like, top one or bottom one? Uh, let's do the top one. Top one? All right. No worries. Uh, so, this question says, uh, it's Australian reporting season. I own shares of a handful of companies that I think are great, and the annual reports have just come out over the last few weeks. Most have shown uh, my companies are executing as planned. That's good to know. Um, as you know, annual reports come out after the market closes. Frequently this year, I have read an annual report uh, the evening it came out and have been satisfied. And then the following morning, there's been a big sell-off in that company's shares, as if others were reading a different document from me. Am I meant to be happy because this offers a buying opportunity? Or do I ignore Mr. Market shouting prices from over the farm gate? At what stage do I worry that I'm really wrong? Uh, And then- uh, this has a little. Is this how Hamish felt about Netflix? We'll have to ask <laughs> Hamish that next week. I might ask this one to him next week as well. Um, do you, Do you have any thoughts about this? Uh, how much weight do you put in uh, in share price fluctuations around earnings time? If you're happy with the with what you're seeing, yeah, I guess it's the whole Ben Graham like. In the short term market's a voting machine, and the long term it's a weighing machine. So if you know if your analysis turns to be right out of it, turns out to be right over several years, then you, know, you should do okay. The New Zealand and Australia are interesting because we only report twice a year our, our companies as opposed to quarterly. So you can probably mm. expect to see bigger swings when numbers come out because it's been you know that's a, a good point a longer period of time since we got the last update. Um, mm. Yeah, as far as like you know, you've been happy with the numbers and the the price going down. I've been there, done that several times. <laughs> it's. Yeah, I, I mean, most people in the market are operating on a relatively short-term time frame and they don't really have their – well, they might have their own projections for what they think the company will do, but they're looking at stuff like, you know, the average analyst expected them to earn $2 a share and they earned $1.90 and so they're yeah. four share price down. Whereas, um, you know – Does uh, that matter uh, if they earn 10 bucks in 10 years from now? Yeah. Exa- exactly, yeah. So that that's how I kind of think about it. Yeah, I, I'm exactly on the – on the same, I, I almost think, I almost go, I know this is not, this is not something you actually should think, but I almost go in thinking like, it's the classic, if you buy a stock, it'll go down. If you don't buy a stock, it'll go up kind of thing. Yeah. I'm always like, you know, whatever you think about the earnings report, chances are the market thought the opposite, but I, I don't put any stock in, in um, earnings beats or earnings, unless, unless it's like obvious, unless it's just like gigantic. Um because, you know, I one of the quotes that Gally Russell says, I think this is actually one of his quotes, is like, um, companies don't miss on earnings, analysts miss on reality. 
And at the end <laughs> yeah. of the day, things like companies, they're just doing their best, you know, as long as you're long-term, like we're long-term investors, as long as the long-term looks healthy, you know, if they, like what you say, if they guided for $2 and they got one ninety-five or something and then the stock tanks, it's, you're right, it's just the short-term noise. So, I, I don't, I really try not to listen. Like when you read analysts are expecting, I just skip that bit. I just don't, doesn't even phase me in my mind because that does move around share prices. Same with like JP uh, Morgan announced a revision of its price target and that moves the stock like 5% or something. It's like, who cares? They can yeah. think what they want to think. I'll think what I want to think. Kind of. So, yeah. And, and even yeah. more extreme, if you look at smaller companies, I would say like Australia has a bazillion small cap mining stocks and all sorts of weird stuff that <laughs> like you'd be lucky if one analyst follows and um yeah. yeah. So you got you got to do your own work on it. Like with Seritage that we were talking about before, you know, you follow someone like Matt Peterson and he's spent, I think he said in his last annual meeting call that he's spent like approximately a thousand hours on valuing Seritage or something crazy, like going through property by property, talking to real estate agents and, you know, people leasing properties and investors wow. and like all sorts. I thought yeah. I'd spent a lot of time on Seritage because I got a, you know, few hundred dollar subscription to I think it was called Crexy or something, which is basically a right. site for US real estate, commercial real estate comps. Like you can put in an address right. and it tells you, you know, this similar property two miles down the street sold for this value and it had it was this bigger property and you can compare it to the Seritage one and all that. I went through 170 properties like that and came out with some valuations, but Matt's on a whole nother level. So if you've done that kind of work and then there's like one random analyst out there who has, who thinks something different um, and they happen to be following like, you know, 20 companies and they maybe spent a day on trying to figure out this mm. particular one that you've spent a lot longer on. I, I try to avoid putting much weight in that. Mm. That's a good way to think about it. Yeah. If you're an analyst working a job and you've got 20 stocks that you have to report on and how long are you really- And you want to go home to your family or you want to go to the bowling alley or play video games or whatever, how long are you really going to put into yeah, and <laughs> each one of your stocks when it's just when it's just your job? It's just your nine to five. <laughs> yeah. And, and Monish Prabhai's talked about this a little bit before. Like he, Has he? He told the story of, a, of an Indian company in the 90s. I don't know if you've ever heard him talk about when he- he tried to, I think he bought like three Indian stocks and um, he wasn't sure if he was like going to get scammed sending the money to India and stuff. And then they sent him like physical right. stock certificates that he put in his bottom uh, drawer. Have you heard that story? Right. No, I haven't. No. Uh, yeah. It, well, anyway, one of the companies was, um, these numbers aren't going to be right, but it was something like, you know, the stock was a dollar. Um, they had real estate assets that were like $10 a share and then they had an operating business, which was substantially more valuable. That's kind of the the situation right. he was looking at. And, you know, he's speaking to these analysts that, you know, the stock's a dollar and they're putting out price targets of a dollar thirty or whatever. And they're and he's saying, you know, this thing should be worth twenty because they've got all this real estate and an actual <laughs> business. And no analyst is going to be bold enough to put out a stock price us, you know. I, mm. Except Kathy Wood, maybe or something, but no, no, <laughs> no, no analyst going to put a price target out there that's like three times the current stock price, um, mm. even if there's good reasons for it. So, um, yeah, yeah, take it that's all with a, a grain point. of salt. Mm. Yeah, well, I hope that uh, sufficiently answers that question. We actually spent quite a long time on that, so much so that we are now running over time. So, we'll wrap things up there, guys. Uh, thank you, first of all, thank you, Tom, for for joining us today in Hamish's absence. Um, always good to talk to you, mate. 
Yeah, and of course, people can uh, people can find you investing with Tom on YouTube. How's your podcast going? Well, it's been pretty quiet the last month or so. Um, uh, I'll have to get you back too. on there. Then, then we can hey. then we can do an episode. <laughs> I'm Sounds probably, good. Properly set up in the new house now, so I'll I'll have to get that cranking yeah. again. Nice. Yeah, I, I think you know. Yeah, you get Matt Peterson on. You get Guy Spear on. You get me on. Yeah. I mean, we're like yeah, that's 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 the trifecta, isn't it? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they. they, they if we did it the other way around, I probably wouldn't have even had to reach out to Matt and Guy. They would have been, <laughs> they would have been banging on the door to come on the podcast and follow Brandon oh, Vanderkop. Yeah, uh, I think so. I think I think that's exactly right, Tom. Yep. Anyway, um, yeah, I'll be keen f- to follow what you come up with on your podcast for sure. Um, so that's it. On you're on Twitter as well, investing with Tom. Uh, at you Tom put out some good stuff on, on Twitter. Twitter. Sorry, at Tom investing on Twitter is the Tom handle. Investing. I think. But investing awesome. with Tom everywhere Anyways. else and um, nice. punch card investing is our weekly live stream channel as well. Right. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, mate. Thanks for coming on. Great to talk to you as always. Thank you guys very much for, for tuning in. As always, we appreciate the hour or so you give us every week to, to tune into the Young Investors podcast. And uh, that will just about do us for today. So thanks for watching and we'll see you guys in the next episode. See you.